This is episode 131 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Men's Roundup 2014, Endurance with Paul Tripp. This is session one from Friday night. Well, it's uh, great to be here. I live right down in Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, I walk everywhere, uh, drive once every six months, so this is just glorious being out here. It's just uh, amazing. Well, it's been very hard. I have been, I think, in some of the most difficult ministry months of my life. My wife, Luella, says that she's seen me in tears more in the last six months than she can remember. I would like to say to you that I've done that with heroic faith, but I haven't. There were moments where I thought, why am I doing this? I just want to quit. I want to stop. I don't want any more controversy in my life. I don't want to help people who don't want to be helped. I don't want to be rejected for doing good things. I just want to go someplace by myself and write novels. I don't know why I thought that, but it just seemed like the thing to do. Maybe some of you are in that situation right now. Maybe it's not ministry. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe you've had one of those conversations with one of your children, and you walk down the hallway and you think, why in the world do I bother? Or maybe you've had that same argument with your wife again, the same one you've had a thousand times, and you think, will we ever get this right? Will she ever agree with me? And after all, she's lived with the glory. That is me. Maybe finances have never worked for you. Maybe it's never, you've never found a church that you feel comfortable in. Maybe you have an irascible boss who's always down your throat. Maybe a neighbor who's more concerned about six inches of dirt between your property than that person is about a relationship with you. Maybe just hate getting old. Or hate having to work very hard telling yourself that you're not getting old. Endurance. If I watched the last six weeks of your life on a video, would I see a man enduring? Would I? What in the world is this thing called endurance that we're here to spend our time thinking about? What does it mean to endure? Well, I want to begin this evening by giving you a definition, and then I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture. Endurance is more than toughing it out. 
Endurance is more than hanging in there. Endurance is more than flexing your manly muscles against the universe, for Pete's sake. Let me give you a definition of endurance. If you've got paper, write this down. I mean it. It'll help you. Here's endurance. Endurance is living faithfully and patiently. Endurance is living faithfully and patiently in the place where God has put you. Endurance is living faithfully and patiently in the place where God has put you. The gospel that you say you believe. Endurance is living faithfully and patiently in the place where God has put you, the gospel that you say that you believe. Now, here's a problem that we have. I think it's a problem for some of you right now in your brain. When you hear the word gospel, you think what? Entrance and exit. You think the gospel has to do with that original coming to Christ, Christ's sacrifice to me, his forgiveness of me, his acceptance into his family, and the gospel has to do with my uh, place in eternity. And what you're living with is this gigantic gap in the middle of the gospel. I'm here to do one thing with you this weekend. Here it is to talk to you about the nowism of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, hear what I'm about to say. Jesus didn't just die for your past. Jesus didn't die for your future. He died for your here and now. He died for everything you're facing here and now. He died for that relationship with that boss. He died for your relationship with your children. He died for your relationship with your wife. He died for all those temptations you face every day. He died for those messed up finances and debt. He died for your addiction. He died for your fear. He died for your depression. He died. He died. He died for now. And you'll never understand what it means to endure if you don't understand that it means I have the great joy and privilege of living in light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here, right now. That's what endurance is. Sin reduces us to fickle-hearted quitters. It does. Self-absorbed people who don't like difficulty. Me-oriented individuals who want the world to be comfortable and easy. Own it. That's all of us. We shrink the world down to the claustrophobic confines of our wants, our needs, our feelings. We want the world to do our bidding, and when it doesn't, we want to quit. I want chocolate at ready reach at all times. Just coat the world in it. I want to drive on roads paid for by other citizens who choose not to use them. (laughs) 
I don't ever want to have to wait at the grocery store. I want a wife who says to me, of course, Paul, I agree with you. I've lived with the glory that is you. I want children to say, yes, Father, I will forthwith go and obey because you, sir, are wise. I want neighbors who move into the neighborhood just because I live there. When do you feel like quitting? Be honest. Because I'm going to be honest with you this weekend. Because I believe the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ allows us to be honest. Here I'm about to say, there's nothing that will ever be known or exposed about you that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. So we can be honest. Every man in this room has the same experience. You want to quit when you don't get your way. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. When life doesn't work according to your plan, when it, when it gets demonstrated that you, in fact, are not sovereign, when things are tough and things are hard, when it appears that someone has a plan other than your plan. Why have I struggled this last six months? I'll tell you why. Because I'm full of myself. And I want ministry to be easy. I want to be affirmed. I want to be appreciated. I don't want it to be difficult. And the gospel blows that stuff away. Now here's what I'm going to do with you this evening. I want to talk with you about where you're now living. Because I think there's many, many people that don't understand their current address. I'm not talking about the city or the state or the street that you live on. I'm talking about life between the already and the not yet. Life between the already and the not yet. Already, Scripture has been given. Already, Jesus has come to provide redemption, but not yet has sin been defeated. Not yet is redemption fully accomplished. Not yet has the end come. And we're living in this messy middle. Now, you have to know that the middle of things are tough. The beginning of a football game is real exciting, isn't it? And the end of a football game is very exciting. As you watch the clock tick down, it's the middle of the game that's tough. The beginning of a long road trip, is it not exciting? As you get in the car, you start, oh, yeah. The end of a road trip is scintillating. Ten miles out, you can feel the buzz. It's the middle of the trip that drives you crazy, right? I have to tell you this. We were on one of those trips with our children. If you want to understand depravity... Go on an extensive road trip with your children. You're not only storing their depravity, but yours. My son was 12 years old, and he had polyps in his nose, and he wheezed when he breathed. <laughs> My daughter says somewhere on the trip, Dad, Ethan is bothering me. I said, okay, I'm driving. What is he doing? Without hesitation, she said, he's breathing. 
Oh, I'm not done. I said, what do you want me to do? He, she said, without hesitation, tell him to stop. There are moments where you just are crazy. You're, you're marching down the hallway to have that conversation with a child that you put to bed at 9 o'clock and now fighting in his bed at 10.30. There are moments where you're, you're looking at your finances. You think, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Where is God? What is He doing? You'll never endure unless you understand what in the world God is doing right now, where in the world you're living right now. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 is meant to be a brilliant description of life in the middle. Romans 8 is meant to be a brilliant description of what it's like to live between the already and the not yet. And endurance begins by understanding your address. Because if you don't understand your address, you're going to be terribly confused, terribly discouraged, terribly disappointed, and you're going to quit all over the place. Because you don't get God's agenda. You're not on God's agenda page. You've got to know your address. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this is hope. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those he, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And to those whom He possessed predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is life in the middle like? Well, look first at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Hear this. Between the already and the not yet, you will suffer. 
between the already and the not yet, you will suffer. I can say this for sure. If you're not suffering now, you're near someone who is. And if you're not suffering now, you will someday. Notice the power of what Paul writes here is that he assumes suffering to be the universal experience of believers. He doesn't even debate it. He says, the things you're suffering now are not worth comparing to the glory that were revealed. That whole statement doesn't work if you're not suffering. He's assuming you'll suffer. Now, here's what this means, brothers. We've got to get this. Your living in the middle of difficulty is never a sign of God's unfaithfulness and inattention. It's never a sign that God's not listening to you. It's never a sign that you're alone in the universe and maybe this Christianity isn't real after all. Let me say it this way. Your suffering is never an interruption in God's plan. It's part of God's plan. And you'll never ever have the joy of endurance if you think when you're suffering that somehow you've been forsaken by the God who's supposed to give you the grace to endure. Does that make sense? Because what will happen to you is because you don't have suffering as part of the plan, you will doubt the goodness of God and you quit running to God for help once you begin to doubt His goodness. Because you don't go for help to someone who you've come to doubt. I love what it says in Peter. Oh, I don't know if I love it. I actually hate it, but it's true. He says, when you're suffering, don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. Hear this. Suffering is the normal experience of the people of God between the already and the not yet. And it's time... For us to quit listening to the evil lies of the enemy that whispers in your ear in moments of difficulty, where is your God now? Now here it is. God for His glory and your good has chosen for you as a believer, one who has been accepted into His family, to live between the already and not not yet, and a place where suffering exists. That's not accident. That's not forgetfulness. That's not neglectfulness. That's the plan. Listen, if he wanted us to believe and just disappear into glory, that would have happened. The fact that we have this long journey in between our first belief and our final homegoing is because that's exactly what God wants us to do. That's exactly what He's planned for us. Your difficulty is part of God's plan. Now, if I'd been in charge, I wouldn't have planned the last six months for me. But I'm not in charge. got to get this, guys. One of the powerful things that suffering does for you is it reminds you you're not in charge of you. Because if you were in charge of you, you wouldn't be suffering. 
Suffering assaults your power. It assaults your sovereignty. It assaults the shocking idea that you are actually in control of your life. It assaults the belief that you author your own story. Suffering puts you in your place. Because you know this is true. If you were in charge, you'd remove every bit of that suffering. Suffering confronts you with the fact that somebody else is in charge. And that means this. Oh, you got to get this. If, if you don't get anything else, we can get this. Endurance is always endurance unto Him. Endurance always has to do with some kind of contract, some kind of relationship, some kind of submission to the one who is in charge. That's what endurance is. Second thing that Paul says. Look at verse 20. Well, 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly because of him, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Not only you will suffer, but what I'm going to say next, you will suffer because God has chosen for you to live in a world that's dramatically broken. And because it's dramatically broken... It does not function the way God intended. Listen. Paradise is coming, but you will never turn now into paradise. In case you hadn't realized it, this isn't paradise. Paradise is to come. And I love the, the three words that, that capture the brokenness of the, this world that Paul uses. I love these words because they're so descriptive. The first word is futility. Subjected to futility. It's the, it's the why do I bother things don't ever seem to work right. So often it seems like, like what you do just doesn't make any difference. You see this in Psalm 73. Write that down. Go look at it later. Where the psalmist says, he looks around, it looks like the bad guys are winning and the good guys are getting hammered. And I love what he says because it's, it's so honest. The Psalms are in the Bible to keep us honest because they show the messiness of faith. He says this, Surely for no reason have I kept myself pure. Know what he's saying? I've obeyed for this. This is what I've made all those sacrifices for. To suffer? Futility. Second word is decay. The whole world is bondage to decay. It means we live in a world where things die. 
Those flowers in the garden won't stay beautiful forever. Animals die. People die. Hopes and dreams die. Relationships die. Marriages die. It's a terrible thing to live in a world where death is normal. Everything that's alive is in somehow a process of decay. Third world word, childbirth. It's that picture of absolutely acute, focused pain. It's not general pain. It's focused pain. It's, it's unbearable pain that births something. My dear wife, Luella, had over a 20-hour labor, her first, our first child. Justin didn't, just didn't want to come into the world. Hard labor. About 19 hours in, she looked at me. She said, I'm done. I'm just going to go home. I didn't think that was a very good idea. <laughs> you, live, you live in a world that's terribly broken. And that brokenness will enter your world. Here I'm about to say, your new birth does not give you a, a ticket out of the brokenness of the world. Your new birth in Christ does not give you a ticket out of the brokenness of your world. Third, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are the first for the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You live in a world where suffering is a reality, you will suffer. You live in a world that is terribly broken and will not function as God intended. Now, here I'm about to say, and because of that, every one of us, 10 out of 10 of us, are called by God to wait. Waiting is not the unusual experience of people in unusual difficulty. Here I'm about to say, waiting is the normal experience of every believer. God calls for you to wait. And here's what you need to understand. We'll look at this at other, from other passages. Waiting is not just this meaningless waste of time uh, until you get something. Waiting is not about just what you get at the end of the wait. Here I'm about to say, waiting is about what you become as you wait. Waiting is not just about 
Am I ever going to get this thing that I'm waiting for? Waiting is about what you will become as you wait. It's not like waiting in the dentist's office when he's overbooked, where it's just a meaningless waste of 45 minutes. You've, you've read the few men's magazines there. You're now reading Family Circle magazine. You're actually looking at recipes. You're saying, I didn't know that went in that. If you're doing that as a man, you probably waited too long. And, and you get the sense in this passage that, that waiting is not an absence ac- activity. Waiting is an activity. Waiting is doing something. Because he talks about waiting eagerly and waiting hopefully and waiting patiently. Those, those words have movement to them. I'm doing something as I'm waiting. I'm realizing something as I'm waiting. I'm changing as I'm waiting. I'm growing as I'm waiting. Something has happened to me as I'm waiting. Listen, God hasn't abandoned you in the wait. God is in the middle of your wait. And he has his hands all over your weight. Because that waiting is meant to be an instrument of something good in your life. To produce patience, to produce eagerness, to produce hope. God is at work in your weight. And yet, probably if you, you examine most of our lives, we just don't like waiting. We just don't like waiting even for a moment. It doesn't take long for us to get upset, right? Your wife calls you on the way home from work. And she says, we're having tacos. Which immediately means for you, life is worth living. And she says, I just want you to go to the store and pick up some salsa. Doesn't seem like a dangerous request. You dream that the grocery store will be empty. You can run in, grab the salsa, run to the counter. You'll be out of there in a few minutes. You run through the store and you notice that there are 15 checkout aisles and there's only one that's occupied by a clerk. And you know where the salsa is because you've had salsa in your life. And you run to that aisle and you're running to that one checkout aisle. There's nobody in it when you pass by that lady. And just before you get there, a lady pulls in with her cart with 150 items. You already hate her. And she starts slowly pulling out items like she doesn't know how they got in her cart. (laughs) And you can feel the emotional temperature changing. You're rehearsing what you would like to say to her. She finally, the cart is finally empty. You think perhaps there is a God. And she pulls out a hundred coupons. And starts slowly 
matching coupons to items. You would like to share something with this woman at that point, but it wouldn't be Jesus. (laughs) She finally gets done, and then she pulls out her purse. It's the size of a camping tent for a family of six. When she looks into the purse, the whole top half of her body disappears. She starts hunting for her wallet. She's not pulling out makeup items. She's pulling out children and small dogs. (laughs) And you're just angry. I mean, for some of us, a flat tire on a busy day can bring us 75% of the way to atheism. I want to challenge you here, and we're going to unpack this. This is just laying the groundwork. You can't love God and hate waiting at the same time. You can't. Because God is the God of the wait. Think about the Bible. When Adam and Eve fell, and God makes those those glorious promises of the Redeemer who would come and crush the head of the serpent. How many years are we talking about here? Decade after decade, century after century after century after century, you read the Bible and you say, is He ever going to do it? If I was on the joystick, Jesus would have come that afternoon, He would have died that evening, He would have rose again before the next morning the story had been over. You can't love God. You can't rest in God. You can't celebrate His grace if you hate waiting. Because listen, your anger with waiting is not anger at people and circumstances. It's anger with a God who controls people and circumstances. Have you ever in your life, I want you to be honest right now in this holy moment that we have, have you ever waited eagerly? Have you ever? Have you ever waited hopefully? Have you ever waited patiently? You will suffer. Because you live in a dramatically broken world, you will be called by God to wait. Go back to your Bibles. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You will be called to wait, but hear this. You don't wait alone. Do you hear what I said? You don't wait alone. God knew that this period between the already and not yet 
was going to be so fraught with difficulty that it was not enough just to forgive us. No, He literally unzipped us and got inside of us by His Holy Spirit so that God Himself actually lives inside of me as I wait. God has inhabited me. Now, what that tells me is something that's very, very important. God will never call you to a task without enabling you to do it. If this God puts a Red Sea in front of you and He means for you to cross it, He's going to build a bridge, He's going to send a boat, He's going to give you the ability to swim, or He's going to part the waters. And so... What Paul describes in these words is this moment of utter angst when I'm so discouraged and I'm so upset that I can't even form the words. I don't even know what to pray for. And he says this beautiful thing, you don't have to worry because the Spirit of God knows your heart and He carries your words to the Father. How amazing is that? This last six months, there were moments in the morning, early morning, where I didn't know what to pray. There were moments where all I would say is, Lord, 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 Lord. But I'm not alone in those cries. I'm not alone in that weakness. Because God did this awesome thing. He didn't just forgive me. He didn't just promise me eternity. But between the already and the not yet, He got inside of me so I would have the help I need in my moment of need. Two more things and then we're done. Where does Paul go next? Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. I live in the experience of suffering. I live in a world that's not functioning the way God is intended for function. I live being required to wait. I live knowing that I don't wait alone. And here I'm about to say, in the midst of that, the powerful, unshakable purpose of God marches on. You must not look at your world as confusing as it is to you, as mysterious as it is to you, as discouraging as it is to you, as disappointing as to you, and think that somehow God is being defeated. What Paul says is, don't you understand, in the midst of all of this, the purpose of God is unshakable. God's will will be done. Everything He promised, He will deliver. Now, when he says all things will work together for good, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about all your circumstances will end up being wrapped by a bow. There are crippled people who won't walk again. 
There are sicknesses that will take people's lives. There are sadly marriages that won't be reconciled. He's not giving you the promise that somehow everything's going to turn out to make you happy. That's a horrible distortion of what this passage means. This good thing you can depend on, God will come through with everything He's promised you. Now what that does, it tells you where your security is found. You can't rest in people. You can't rest in your job. You can't rest in your circumstances. You can't put your identity in your children. All those things will fail you, but God will never fail you. His purpose is unalterable. In Daniel, where the whole purpose of God for the ages is laid out, it says this, He rules over the host of heaven and the inhabitants of earth, and no one can stop His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Isn't that amazing? Don't look around because you don't understand and conclude that somehow God is being defeated. His purpose is unshakable. Final thing, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? Now listen to the logic here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's what he's saying. If God would go to the shocking extent of harnessing the forces of nature and controlling the events of human history, so at a certain point in time, his son would come and live the life that we could not live, die the death that we should have died, rise again conquering sin and death. If God would do all that, would it make any sense that He would abandon us between the already and the not yet? That makes no sense whatsoever. Men, look at me. If you want one reason... One historical reason that you can, re you can remind yourself of again and again for endurance, here it is. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if God freely gave us His Son, if He would murder His own Son for your redemption, what sense does it, would it ever make to abandon you between the already and the not yet? It won't happen. So Paul says, if he gave us his son, wouldn't it make sense to conclude that he will freely give us all things? Do you believe that? No, no, no. I mean, do you really believe that? If I watched that video, would I conclude you're a man who believes that? I think there sits in this room evidence that we don't want to wait. That the truths of Romans 8 are not actually in our hearts and minds at street level. There are dads in this room 
You treated your children this week in some situation in a graceless, angry manner. You said things that you shouldn't say. You did things that you shouldn't do because you were unwilling to wait for God to do what He alone can do in the life of that child. You try to do that by your loud words and your angry tone and your inflammatory way of responding. There are men, husbands in this room. You were nasty to your wife this week. Because you don't want to wait through the experience of living with a less than perfect woman. And you throw her sin, weakness, and failure up into her face. And you let her know what it's like to live with a person like, like her. Listen, your problem... It's not that you have a less than perfect wife. Your problem is you're unwilling to wait. There's somebody in this room, the last couple of weeks, you spent money you don't have. Maybe on an Orvis fly rod. Or a nice new shotgun. And you're in debt because you're unwilling to wait. There may be men in this room who visit websites this past week that you have no business going to. You know who you are. And you're, willing, you're unwilling to wait through a world of impurity. You demand to write your own rules, to pursue those pleasures as you want. Are you willing to wait? Waiting is not the unusual call of God to a few people. Waiting is a universal call of God to all of His people. Is there evidence in your life that you're struggling with waiting? If you would say tonight, Paul, yeah, that's me. I can be so incredibly irritable. I can be so incredibly impatient. I can make a big deal out of things that are not a big deal. I do speak unkindly to my children. I am sometimes nasty to my wife. I do sometimes gnaw myself by spending on pleasures I don't really need. Well, I can say this to you. Hear what I'm about to say. You don't have to wallow in shame. You don't have to hide in guilt. You can run in the presence of a holy God as messed up as you are. Why is that? Well, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the most significant moment of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was not His physical suffering. The most significant moment of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ was that moment when His Father turned His back on His Son. And Jesus, in utter to torment, hanging between heaven and hell, 
screams, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Men, look at me. I mean it. Jesus took every single piece of your rejection so that you would never again see the back of God's head. Are you struggling with waiting? Does it create anger with people and situations and doubt of the goodness of God? Do you get mad wondering what in the world God is doing? Do you even go so far as bringing Him into the court of your judgment, questioning His faithfulness and His love? Are you willing to wait? You say, Paul, I don't, I can't wait. If you're saying that, you're on the road to something good. Because the reason the Spirit of God was given to, given to us was because we need help. Because waiting's not natural for us. Waiting's not intuitive for us. There is grace for your wait. Wouldn't you tonight run to that grace? Wouldn't you? There are marriages here that need to be led by a man who has become good at waiting. There are children who need fathers who are good at waiting. There are churches that need to be populated with men who are not divisive and demanding, but are good at waiting. Would you run for that grace to meet you in the middle of your wait? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the street-level descriptiveness of this passage. This really describes our lives. And in describing our lives, it does more than it reminds us that all these things are not in the way of your plan. They're part of your plan. And you've provided your spirit and the endless resources of your love for us. There are guys in this room that are in the midst of making their lives even more difficult because they're unwilling to wait. Harming their marriages, harming their parenting, harming friendships, harming the workplace. Oh Lord, may, may this evening we run to you for the grace we need to be part of what you're doing between the already and not yet and not in the way of it. In Jesus' name, amen.